Thank you so much for joining What the HR Podcast. I am Jesse Novi, an HR business partner with CH Robinson, and I'm joined by uh, Mike Tool, my co-host. Mike and I are really fortunate today to be rejoined by Kevin Mosier, our um, HR attorney. If you haven't listened to previous episodes where we've had Kevin on, please be sure to go back and listen as he has been a wealth of knowledge. We've really enjoyed his partnership on our podcast. Given the light of the current circumstances, uh, we are having Kevin talk about COVID-19 today and also to practice social distancing. This is our first podcast that we are recording in a remote setting. So if the audio sounds a little different to you this time, that is the reason why. But a great exercise for us to go through um, in the event that we're able to record remote podcasts going forward with other HR professionals that are maybe not local to the Minneapolis area. So without further ado, let's go ahead and listen to our podcast interview with Kevin. All right, we are back with a compliance update with Kevin Mosher. Uh, Kevin, thanks again so much for joining us. Um, you know, before we get started, why don't you guys, why don't you give a brief introduction of who you are and what you do? Sure. Thanks, Mike. Uh, my name is Kevin Mosher. I'm an HR attorney. I'm a labor and uh, labor and employment certified specialist by the MSBA, and uh, practice representing um, nonprofits and companies around the country, um, based out of uh, Minnesota here. I, I advise businesses and nonprofits on, on compliance and obviously represent them in court as well in, in uh, lawsuits. Great. Well, you know, today we are going to be talking about the novel coronavirus or COVID-19. Uh, before we get into it, I you're a resource for folks that are going through a lot of changes right now. And I want you to give a brief description, uh, if you will, about your your My HR Genius program, because I think it's uh, extremely relevant right now. Oh, right. Thanks. Yeah, the My HR Genius program, something I created um, years ago, it's very relevant uh, right now, but it's a subscription, flat fee-based subscription uh, legal service. So you can call me directly, um, partner at a national law firm, and you know you don't have to worry about legal fees. Um, any phone calls, emails, no legal fees. It's uh, starts at seventy nine bucks a month. Doesn't matter the size of your company. So it's we don't scale it. We don't change uh, the pricing based on use. You use it as much as you want. It also includes uh, weekly tips, updates. We've been doing a lot of tips on coronavirus and the impact, uh, including an emergency overview and um, summary of the of the new legislation, the Families First Act that just came out about thirty six hours ago from when we're taping this. And um, as well as monthly webinars and my own podcast, so it's it's an educational program, but it's also uh, a very affordable legal resource pro, uh, program. That's again flat fee and it's month to month. There's no minimums or anything like that. So anybody's any company is welcome to uh, inquire at the our website at myhrgenius.co or just call me directly or find me on LinkedIn. That's yeah. Okay, great. Um, you mentioned the families first law that uh, recently was passed. So I think that's where we want to start today. If uh, if you want to give everybody an overview of kind of what you know and what they should know. Right. So, you know, the interesting thing um, ab about this law is normally when we, when we have laws, these things are a long time coming. Now I will say this aspects of this law are a long time coming uh, and they've been lobbied for, for years, but really obviously the COVID-19 is a unique emergency circumstance, and um, some magic happened to get 
to get some of these aspects finally through through Congress and then signed by the president. Um, under normal times, this law would never go into effect uh, and be signed signed off by Republicans and um, and the president, this president anyway. So it, it's um, it's a comprehensive law. It did get watered down by the Senate at the end, so it's not as comprehensive as the House bill initially was. But it is a response for, I don't want to say smaller employers, but employers with uh, less than 500 employees. But it goes all the way down to to one employee. And there are a number of interesting things about this and just understanding you know, what this law does and doesn't do. Um, but we're just really figuring it out on the fly because it's not like this went through committee where we understood what the drafters were thinking and we got some testimony and there's been lobbying efforts. That's just not the case. This this law hit cold because of came at, came at us cold because of uh, COVID-19 and it's gone through a number of drafts. There are ambiguities, there are some loopholes, I think. I don't know if those will ever get closed. I think by the time, I mean, it just depends on how long this emergency pandemic lasts, but the reality is I just don't know if the Department of Labor can react and give guidance quickly enough to uh, to give us some clarity on some of the ambiguities. So that's just kind of a very overview general general um, first impression of the, the law itself. Okay. And, and what, what what is, I mean, what's included in, in this law? I mean, it's, uh, can you give some kind of further details as just to help people understand what it is? So it's, it's this big act and and it's 110 pages, and it includes a bunch of other things, you know, around food programs and stuff like that. But there are two primary aspects of it that are critical for every employer, um, unless you're a super huge employer. I guess it's not as as critical for you. But for for everybody else under 500 employees, the the critical piece here there's two things. One, it's an amendment to the FMLA. Smaller employers who have less than 50 employees, they really don't need to worry about the FMLA. FMLA, historically, since 1993, has only covered employers with 50 or more employees. Uh, Now, uh, this amendment, at least this aspect regarding COVID-19, now amends the FMLA to now include all employers with uh, fewer than 500 employees. So we've reversed it. Um, so typically, like all the other aspects of the FMLA, apply to 50 or more employees. And now, just this COVID-19, uh, this COVID-19 aspect applies to everybody with less than 500 employees. So really, small employers that have no knowledge or understanding or any use for the FMLA now have to at least be aware of the FMLA. Uh, the second part is that there is a, an emergency paid. Uh, leave sick leave law. So that's new. That's not amending anything that's currently in existence. That is a new law, and that gives up to 80 hours of pay to uh, employees who um, hit one of the six factors that would trigger um, entitlement. So just kind of backing up a little bit on the FMLA side, if the employee, um, and by the way, we're, you know, it's like all employees that have that you know are working for you, right? So it, we a lot of the definition of employee it's just kind of thrown out the window. A lot of what we understand with FMLA is kind of thrown out the window. But it really only the FMLA part is only going to trigger if the employee uh, has to, is unable to work either you know at home uh, at home remotely or at like the workplace because the government or because they're the daycare or the school has been shut down because of COVID-19 and they have to stay home and take care of children, children under the age of 18. So 
it's it's really not an enormous expansion of the FMLA. It's a very narrow set. Now, that being said, there are going to be a lot of employees that are unable to work because they have to stay home with kids uh, because of school closures and daycare closures. But that's when the FMLA is going to kick in. That's the amended FMLA. And if that happens, if the employee has to stay home, then the first two weeks of, of at home are unpaid, just like FMLA is always historically unpaid. But then, interestingly, again, this is a whole new new novel concept. Then the next 10 weeks, up to the next 10 weeks, so 12 weeks total again under FMLA, but the next, the following 10 weeks, so starting with week three through 12, the employee could get prorate, uh, like two thirds pay for that, for that time period that they're, that they're out. So it's not, I mean, this is the first time the government has done something with paid family medical leave. If it's the start of something, I mean, this is, uh, this has been, lobbied and hoped for by people that are employee friendly and that sort of thing for a number of years. I mean, like at least 10 years now, it's been um, a real heavy, heavily lobbied effort. And now it, it happened in a very you know narrow circumstance, but we'll see. We'll see what the long-term ramifications are, are for this, at least on the FMLA side. Kevin, can I just clarify or summarize what I think I heard? Yeah. Regarding regarding the FMLA specifically, so just to confirm that the new law is supporting employers that are 500 or over. So some of those specifics around the extension of FMLA, um, what it's covering, the age of the of the dependent that it's covering would not apply to employers that have over 500 employees. Correct. Right. It's just covering employers with less than 500 employees. Okay. So bigger, bigger employees got to, yeah, bigger employers got to pass on this. And then it's specifically covering just the ability to stay at home and care for those dependents. Was there anything above and beyond that, that it was covering that I, that we missed? No, not really. And it's not even dependents, it's just children. So if your spouse is, uh, if your spouse is out, that's and you can't work because you have to take care of your spouse. That's not covering it. Now, for employers with and so this is this is why it's it's pretty narrow. For employers with fifty or more employees, that could still be a serious uh, medical condition that's covered by the typical FMLA. So if the employee themselves gets FML uh, gets COVID nineteen and they can't work because they're sick, then then um, you know, that's going to be under your typical unpaid uh, FM, FMLA situation. So it's this, the amendments, they really watered it down um, at the Senate. The amendments really only to the FMLA only really cover it. Basically, it's really basically covering parents that have to, that cannot work because they have to stay home with, with kids. And you're going to get, a, you know, two thirds of your wages for those weeks three to 12 uh, you're going to get um, two-thirds of your wages up to $200 a day. And that is effective immediately? No, uh, April 2nd. We're waiting on some guidance. They might make it effective more more expeditiously. But as of at least right now, you know, when we're doing this podcast, it looks like April 2nd. Now, the good news for em- for smaller employers, so the government has completely abandoned you, right, because it's a pretty crappy deal otherwise to have to give two-thirds pay. To, to employees that are that are out on FMLA, you will be able to apply for a tax credit for 100% of reimbursement of this two-thirds pay up to $200. So on your on your quarterly tax filings, you'll be able to claim a tax credit with the government 
for reimbursement. Additionally, you will also be able to claim a tax credit for the employer-paid portion of, of any group medical coverage. So if you've got a health plan at group medical in, in place, you'll be able to, uh, to also claim a, a credit for that with the federal government. So you'll get reimbursed. I, I will say for a lot of small businesses, it's little solace when they can't make payroll at all. Uh, because no money is coming in, they're either either not getting revenue income in, or they don't have a the type of line of credit to make payroll at all. So a delayed tax credit, it sounds it's probably fine from a policy standpoint, but it's not going to help a lot of a lot of businesses. A lot of businesses will likely, in advance of this April second deadline, lay lay employees off and, and let unemployment handle handle the situation. Kind of shifting gears a little bit. When it comes to working from home, you know, we're seeing a lot of responses um, from employers. The obvious one is allowing people to work from home, feel safe, have social distancing. If you are a company where your business relies on having people physically somewhere, is there any protection for employees at this point, or what do employers have to do? to take care of those employees? Like if, if somebody doesn't feel comfortable working, is is the employer have the ability right now to demand that somebody is, is there on site? Has anything changed with that? So I don't think so. Um, there could be some states, some ordinances out there that that might offer some, some sort of protections on this. But unless the, the office environment, I mean, obviously if it's being closed, like California last night was was shut down entirely. If the law is, if the state or the city are shutting shutting you, you know, your business down, you obviously can't can't force employees employees to come in and violate um, ordinance or or the law. So we 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 would definitely not recommend that. Um, but absent that, and absent a direct threat of a medical threat to employees. Similarly, if there's a direct threat to employees. Employees have a right to not come into an unsafe work environment. Like I, I am, you know, legally protected if I say I don't want to do what my employer says if it puts me in direct harm's way. That's not necessarily what COVID nineteen is. Uh, we just don't know. We really, you know, if an employer knows that COVID nineteen exists in the workplace, that's a potential OSHA violation. Uh, if you if you have employees come in knowing that there's a risk to them. But just in most situations where you don't know that there's a risk to the employee other than it's just like general risk, I I think it's still it still is the same that you as an employer can have an expectation of attendance. And if the employee is saying, Well, I'm just like freaking out, I've been watching too much, you know, internet and I'm just I'm scared of life right now and I can't come into work, I just don't see that as protected. And we'll see. We might get some more guidance. This changes every day. So what I'm saying right now could be completely obsolete, like tomorrow. Things are moving so fast. But I I still think employers can have their typical policy attendance expectations and other expectations of employees. Obviously, if they hit the, you know, if they're protected under the FMLA, they have a serious medical condition, or, you know, as of April 2nd, they need to stay home with their children well, their children because their children's school or daycare is closed. That's a different thing. That's going to be protected by the federal law. But absent that, I, I think it's still it's still business as usual to some a little bit more heightened awareness um other otherwise. And a lot of employees are looking at employers right now to see to see like how val how much they're val- they value employees. If a case comes up, you know, I'm thinking from an an HR perspective 
Um, I think people want to know, they want more information, but there's got to be some confidentiality issues if, if, if somebody in your company is infected. So that is definitely one of the questions that's coming up a lot. Um, they have, I don't want to say loosened the HIPAA uh, rules and the ADA rules on, on disclosure of medical information. They haven't. They've, they've loosened a little bit on, well, I want to say loosened. This, they have determined this is an emergency situation where you can make some medical inquiries of employees without violating the ADA that you otherwise in typical circumstances might be otherwise prohibited from from asking about you really don't you still even if some if one of the employees gets covid-19 you don't want to take protected health information and say it to everybody in the in the organization at the business you still want to be mindful of that i still wouldn't give names but you definitely do want to make a communication. You need to inform employees that there's a risk uh, that's appropriate under under many federal and state state laws. You need to apprise employees of the risk, and you as an employer need to take action to mitigate that risk to do what you can, whether it's closing and cleaning the facility or sending everybody home or sending just a team home. But you de- And then also communicating that, hey, there somebody has tested. And, you know, here's what people need to do about, you know, getting tested themselves. But I would, I would leave names out of it. I would leave details out of it. But just notifying everybody that there's that somebody has, has tested or that there's a threat, that sort of thing. You that, I don't see that as violating HIPAA and the ADA. On that same note, Kevin, I know that there are some states now that are requiring employers to check people's temperatures before coming into work. In that case, I don't know if you've received any questions on that and if you're recommending that they try to test them before they walk in and their employees can see whether or not they have an increased temperature or not. Or I also do believe that in some of those locations, the employers can opt out and have the employees check their temperature at home too. So are you advising on which one might be a better option there? I don't think that's as widespread as it's being re- reported, um, but can you do it? Yes. That's one of the that's one of the guidance points that the EOC has made um, that, again, under emergency circumstances, it's not going to be a violation of the ADA to do that sort of invasive testing um, of, of temperature. I don't think it's a bad idea. If you're still working and you're still having, I mean, I think the reality is a lot of businesses just don't have a lot of people at them right now. I'm sure some of you, but I think most businesses probably don't. If you are one of those businesses and you have a lot of people because it's like an, um, you're you're just you know at a grocery store and you know food delivery or something like that and or even a restaurant if you're still open and uh, you know you want to make sure that people are doing okay yeah it's not a bad idea to to make make sure that they're testing them themselves I know I'm personally checking my temperature a couple times a day. Uh, as well as of my kids and and my wife's doing the same. It's just it's an easy preventative measure. It also gives some sort of peace of mind to coworkers. I don't think not testing opens you up to liability under under OSHA. So I don't think just by not testing, I think it's a good mitigation tool uh, if you're concerned about your employees and your potential risk. But I don't think it's it's necessary for HR. So this is there's obvious immediate impact. Um, But looking out into the future, um, what do you see COVID-19 or how do you see COVID-19 impacting the field of HR or businesses um, into the long term? 
Well, I think we'll see, right? Um, but I think there's going to be – when when people get a taste of something, it often, it, it often um, either breeds a movement or breeds significant change. Um, there are a lot of examples of, of that. Uh, I'm not going to bore you with some examples I'm thinking of right now, but I think this might be one of them. So we'll, we'll see, but I would not be surprised. A lot of businesses in the last couple of weeks have spent a lot of money on VPNs, uh, of, of remote access, drafting remote access policies, drafting paid leave policies, drafting pandemic policies. You know, it seems like forever ago we were drafting pandemic policies. It was like two weeks ago. <laughs> um, pandemic policies are so like mid-March. We're past that now. Uh, we're now looking at okay. We're looking at layoffs. Uh, what do we do with what are we going to do with this new with this new families first law? I think businesses are spending a lot of money on remote access. They're figuring out how to operate effectively with remote access. I I would not be surprised. You know, we've seen we've seen remote access work. work. Obviously, it's increased with technology um, since the '90s. And and it's become more prevalent, especially as we're you know more of a service providing you know increasingly a service providing economy. Uh, I would not be surprised if there is a serious uptick in remote access work going forward. A lot of businesses have dabbled with with it. They've sh- they've um, shrunk their footprint for leasing office office space, and I think a lot a lot more employers are going to shift to remote access, um, a greater percentage of their workforce. And I think employees are also going to find they probably like it. They probably like being working from home. Once they kind of figure it out, they might have never done it before. They're going to figure it out. And I think supervisors are going to figure it out. I do think as we – and if that happens, I think the value that employers place on supervisory skills, it's going to change. I, I think I think what what makes a good supervisor there in the office when you're working around a bunch of employees, you know, within like arms arms length of you, I think those skills. I think there it takes a different skill set to to really monitor, supervise, counsel, train employees who are primarily uh, working remotely. I just I, I different skill sets being being valued as what I think is going to happen more and more people, significantly more and more people uh, and businesses doing work from home arrangements. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. We, I did not finish talking about the paid sick leave. Um, I'd be remiss if, sure. if I didn't no, if I didn't sure. close the loop on that. I know we, we kind of went down the FMLA rabbit hole, which is entirely appropriate. Employers do need to know. So the first two weeks of FMLA are unpaid. Okay. There's also this paid sick leave component that's going to have wider application. So the FMLA is going to have a narrow application. The paid sick leave is going to have a wider application. And so there are six criteria for the paid sick leave uh, for this. And and it's just so it's going to be much broader than the FMLA. And what that's going to do is employees who are triggered there, um, they're going to get, a, again, um, either full pay for up to 80 hours if they're full-time so full pay for up to 80 hours or two weeks. Um, if they if they cannot work, they need time off because the government's um, put on a quarantine or isolation order, like we saw in California. So in Pennsylvania and probably Minnesota in in a few days. So if there's an isolation order or a quarantine, 
employee is going to get full pay for um, for two days, up to uh, 511 bucks uh, a day. Um, the employee also full pay up to 511 if the employee has been advised by a healthcare worker to provide to self quarantine because of COVID-19, or also if the employee is experiencing symptoms and is trying to get a medical diagnosis. So again, if the employee needs not to work because of those three reasons, they get full pay for up to two weeks. Uh, beyond that, you know, unpaid, maybe FMLA, maybe maybe it's paid FMLA, probably not. Then there are three others where you can get two-thirds pay up to 200 bucks a day. And those are if you have to care for somebody who's been subject to a quarantine or isolation order. So it's like you have to care for a, a immediate family member. Um, or if they've been advised to self-quarantine, okay? So they're going to get two-thirds pay. If the employee is caring for a son or daughter because of the school or daycare, so just like the FMLA part, but school or daycare has closed, the employee is then going to get two-thirds pay for these first two weeks. And then if they you know, are on the FMLA, they might get two-thirds pay for another 10 weeks. And then um, finally, if the employee themselves is experiencing uh, similar um, like COVID-19 uh, symptoms, they could get another two-thirds, again, they could they could get two-thirds, two-thirds pay there. So, and again, this, like with the FMLA, this is going to be reimbursed by the government through tax credits. So I want to make sure everybody understands the, these are two different laws, but they kind of work in sync. They have different criteria. This is why you need to be talking to lawyers. Um, if you're diving deeply into it, it's going to have a huge impact um, and also, these laws expire at the end of the year. So, anyway, I wanted to make sure, Mike, that that everybody understood there was there was a whole other component to that. that yeah, I had glanced yeah, over. I'm I'm glad you brought that up. As far as documentation of this stuff goes, is there anything that um, folks need to know? If is there any additional documentation outside of the standard FMLA that the government has released that they need to fill out? Um, well, there's going to be a notice that's uh, we're supposed to get it next week sometime uh, from the Department of Labor. So we'll see what the notice requires. Uh, clearly, the medical certification form for the you know the standard medical certification form that employers use for the FMLA is is not going to work work here um, at least for this you know re repayment FMLA uh, amendment. So there are there is going to be a relaxing a lot of this stuff isolation orders quarantines there's just not going to be documentation of it um i i think em, you know employers are supposed to do as best as they can with em, employees i think there is some information we can ask from employees uh and at the end of the day employees are are supposed to just not commit fraud with this but we'll see this is kind of a this documentation part is kind of a moving a moving piece, but it's not—it's not going to be as rigid as what we we typically require under the under the FMLA. And again, you're, hopefully the employer is going to get reimbursed for this. So, it, assuming they can make payroll and then get the reimbursement later, it, it should wash out um, eventually. Yeah, and so just to reiterate, uh, this is taking effect April second, correct? Unless we unless we hear otherwise, it's supposed to take effect April second. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Well, um, Kevin, thanks so much for for jumping on and giving us a compliance update. Stay safe, and uh, I know you're busy. So again, we we appreciate having you on. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Good talking to you both. Thanks, Kevin.
Thank you so much for listening to What the HR Podcast. Uh, for more information on Twin City Sherm, you can go to tcsherm.org. That's T-C-S-H-R-M.org. If you enjoyed the podcast, uh, we truly appreciate a rating and a written review. Um, it helps get the word out and find more HR listeners. So, again, thank you so much for listening. Talk to you next time.